The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever lost something very precious? Even if it wasn't a super high-value item, it was maybe precious in the moment. Like, oh, I don't know, if you're working in your shop, and uh, you go to find your 10 millimeter socket, and of course, like all 10 millimeter sockets, it grew legs and ran away. Now what are you gonna do? Get out a pair of vice grips, or walking pliers, or I don't know, you know? When you can't find your keys, and you're already hustling to get out the door, that surgeon is urgent and frustrating, right? You're maybe barking at yourself or barking at your spouse or your kids. Have you seen them? Where are they? Oh, I can't believe I did this again. I'm already late. What you wouldn't do to get those keys back, just find them in your pocket. And maybe sometimes that's where they were all along, right? You just, oh, of course. How dumb am I? I had them on me the whole time. When you've misplaced your wedding ring, you've got a big problem. Because, well, you can get another one. Or you can get one of those silicone ones, maybe. Or you just get a tattoo, maybe, of a wedding band. Um, you can't really replace the lost one. It's not the same thing. It's not the same ring. You can get another one, right? When maybe when a kid's goldfish goes belly up. <laughs> Let's just quick get another one. Maybe they won't notice. They notice, right? They notice. Sometimes when things go missing, it's not that big of a deal. You almost expect to lose them at some point. Sometimes when things go missing, you've lost them. It's a really big deal. Maybe you can't even finish the project you're working on. Maybe everything has to grind to a halt. When you do finally find the lost thing, though, there's relief. There's excitement. There's joy, even. The good news for us this morning is that to Jesus, each one of us is a precious irreplaceable, worth spending it all on, person who was lost, but now is found. 
But don't get me wrong, it's not the case that we're born worthy and precious and holy. From conception, we're all sinners in need of redemption. But our Lord Jesus came for sinners. His love, Martin Luther said it like this, the love of God does not find, but rather creates that which is lovely to it. The love of God doesn't find anything lovely to it because nothing is worthy of God's love apart from God. But God's love creates what is lovely to it. The Prince of Heaven was born into our world in order to save those least worth saving. St. Paul, as he wrote, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now that's something we could all say. I am the foremost sinner. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to look out into your eyes and tell each one of you, you are the foremost sinner. Right? That's not how that works. But it's our, it's our common confession. If you search your heart, you know in the secret place, probably nobody is worse than you, right? At least that's the way Paul felt. That's the way many saints through it, church history feel. That's the way I feel. Our gospel text this morning recounts a time when Jesus was confronted about saving sinners, associating with them, even receiving them. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled because Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. If you want to follow along, you can do so on the back of your bulletin or the gospel lesson and all the Lessons are printed for you in the bulletin as well this week. <coughs> the Pharisees and the scribes grumble because the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus. We don't really catch this the way it's translated in English, but there, um, if you remember your grammar lessons, the, the, you can use something called the imperfect tense, which means it was a thing that was happening regularly, routinely. It was like a habit. It was not just a thing that happened once. This was kind of the state of affairs, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus tells them this parable of the lost sheep. He tells them a story almost. He doesn't confront them head on about their complaint. He tells them a parable. And we need to be careful not to view the gospel accounts with what you could call um, hyper-pious lenses on. We don't want to uh, go hyper-spiritual on everything, meaning if we assume Jesus is making a reasonable point that no one could argue with, that wouldn't give any offense, um, all the time, with everything he says, like everything Jesus says is perfect, and you could only be offended by it if you're like a, some kind of clown, like the Pharisees, Right? If we just flatten Jesus into being reasonable, perfect son of God and the religious leaders and Pharisees as unreasonable, beyond the pale, comical doofuses, then everything becomes one-dimensional. Everything Jesus says is an applause line. And everything the bad guys say, we go, boo, hiss. You know, get off the stage. You'll get what you deserve, Pharisees. That's not really how life works. Nothing is that black and white. 
And that's not really what's going on here. What Jesus is doing in telling them the, the parable of the lost sheep and also the parable of the lost coin, he's painting a picture of a good shepherd who does the annoying, the lowly, the ignoble, the even dangerous work of leaving the flock under the care of one of the other shepherds and going on a journey to search for this one pain-in-the-neck sheep. Maybe it's the one that always wanders off. You know, I've, I've heard it said that sheep are very dumb. Very dumb. A sheep will fall over in a little depression in, in the landscape and will not be able to get up. And will just lay there, helpless, stuck. You know, in fact, I've seen this video. Maybe you've seen it too. I think it's maybe a couple Irish farmers. They rescue this sheep out of this like really narrow crevice next to the road. They finally, I mean, they work, and, they, and they, they pull and tug, and they get this thing free. And it's finally free, and it's, it's excited, and it goes boing, boing, and it jumps right back into the same crack that it was stuck in in the first place. Like something out of Looney Tunes. But good shepherds go after those strays. Good, faithful shepherds leave the rest behind to go get that one. And when they find that one, they don't go, oh, you're you know, they don't grumble all the way back to the rest. No, Jesus says they lay that sheep or that lamb on, the sh on his shoulders. They return rejoicing, humming or singing a tune even. Right? Maybe, maybe singing Psalm 23 about how the Lord is my shepherd, right? Carrying a little sheep on, on, on his shoulders on the way back. The good shepherd rejoices extravagantly over the return of this one lost sheep. So Jesus' point here to the Pharisees and the religious rulers, the religious leaders, the uh, very popular with the people, uh, church officials, you could, you could say, I suppose, don't take offense at my welcoming sinners in and eating with them because that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what good shepherds do. Pharisees, religious leaders, scribes, that's what you should be doing. And much the same thing is going on in the parable of the lost coin. Something of great value is lost, it's searched for, it's found, and there's rejoicing, not just with the person who found it, but it's rejoicing shared with the community. Lutheran scholar and author of the Concordia Commentary on Luke Arthur Just Jr. says this, The parable of the lost coin emphasizes the same themes as the parable of the lost sheep. It has a parallel structure, but fewer details. Its inclusion reflects Jesus' custom, preserved especially in Luke, of telling two complementary accounts, one featuring action by a man and one by a woman. So, for our lives now, today, 2022, rally day. This man receives sinners and eats with them. That is good news, friends. Because you know what you and I are? Sinners. And Jesus receives us. The gospel has been offensive to polite, 
proper, decorous, religious sensibilities since Jesus walked the earth. The Gospels are full of this, aren't they? Jesus being the Son of God, loving, forgiving, being gracious, extending the kingdom of heaven wherever he goes, healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, doing what Jesus does. And the religious leaders are like, what are you on about? What is going on here, Jesus? Don't you know the rules? You can't do that on the Sabbath. You can't hang out with those people. They're sinners. Everybody knows it. Jesus welcomes sinners. He says, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous who need no repentance. The 99 righteous who need no repentance are not 99 who are already saved. This isn't like, there's more joy over the, over the first moment of conversion and I don't really care so much about everybody else who had already saved. But the 99 righteous who need no repentance are the Pharisees. They're the scribes, the religious leaders who don't see themselves in need of Jesus. Who probably would be uncomfortable saying, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all the ways, all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee. The 99 righteous persons who need no repentance actually are not righteous and actually do need repentance. And what Jesus is saying is their piousness, their, their religious devotion and activity is not really a joyful thing in heaven in the way that one social outcast, pariah person who everybody wants to avoid when that person is found by Jesus and is saved and goes from being lost to being found, the company of heaven erupts like when Stefan Diggs caught the Minneapolis miracle catch. Some of you may have watched that live. Some of you maybe have seen the sideline camera view of that. Right? We, that game was over. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can look this up on YouTube later. The intensity of I don't know, 50,000, 60,000 people erupting in a moment. Jesus says there's joy among the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents. And Jesus not only welcomes sinners, but he shares fellowship with them. He eats with them. They're his people. His circle is big enough for all of the people that the world would reject or cast out. And in doing this, Jesus does a new creative work and turns sinners, you and me, into saints. How? By his words. The same way God created the universe in Genesis 1. When God says, light, and there was. If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, perhaps you've read The Magician's Nephew. My kid's. Uh, are reading through that now. And there's a scene toward the end of The Magician's Nephew, and if you haven't read this, I mean, the book's been published for like a long time, like 80 years, okay? So, spoiler alert, but not really. <laughs> Aslan, the lion, who is a type of Christ, right? In case that 
you know, spoiler alert there too. He creates Narnia by plodding along and he's singing. He's singing Narnia into being. And then when all the animals are gathered around him, he speaks to them. He says, Narnia, awake, think, love, be talking animals, be divine waters, be walking trees. At your baptism, you were joined into Christ's baptism. Remember when Christ was baptized, heaven opened to him and a voice said, this is my beloved son. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. At your baptism, heaven opened to you and the same words were spoken over you. You are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. With you I am well pleased. At the Lord's Supper, where we regularly participate in Christ's death and resurrection, these words, this is my body, given into death for you. This is my blood, shed for you, for the forgiveness of sins. He does that with his words. Jesus turns us from sinners into saints through preaching, where the full counsel of God is proclaimed to you throughout the church here. And that would be enough, right? That's enough to celebrate. But Jesus amplifies this, and this is, this is the, the last point I'm going to make here. Jesus hears the Pharisees and the scribes grumbling about how he receives sinners and eats with them. And he tells them a parable about chasing down the lost ones. He doesn't just receive us when we come to him. He doesn't make us come part of the way and then meet us in the middle. He comes and gets us. He rescues us. He doesn't think, I've got 99 others. I can let this one go. This one had it coming anyway. Or, you know, uh, I can just call my friend for, ask for his 10 mil socket. Actually, he's probably lost his too. All the wealth and splendor of heaven, which is to say the life of the eternal Son of God, was opened and spent to redeem you, to purchase you from the kingdom of Satan, to cancel your debt, to make you clean and holy and perfect, to lay up for you an eternal inheritance, unfading. It says that no mind has conceived, no eye has seen, nor ear heard what God has prepared, is preparing for those who love him. We have no idea <coughs> the extent of the glory that Jesus has purchased for us and has gone ahead to prepare for us. The place, he said, Lord, why are you going the way? I've got to go ahead of you to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, would I have told you? And all this great cost is not held against you. You know, have you ever uh, stepped in to, like, foot the bill for something or, or gone to help someone and had to kind of, you know, lay out some cash maybe? And uh, that's, uh, sometimes that can make things awkward, Right? 
if something, if helping somebody out costs you a lot, and then maybe they don't seem very grateful, or they seem forgetful, or they get themselves into another bind, and you are in a position where you got to help them out again. Hmm. That's tough. But Jesus isn't like that. Jesus rejoices as he carries you like a lamb on his shoulders. The angels rejoice when they see it. Picture this. I just want you to, you know, you have, you have permission now to close your eyes, but you don't have permission to fall asleep. Okay. <coughs> We're going to close with this. Imagine this if you can. A man condemned to die carrying his cross to the place where he'll be nailed to it. The rough surface of that unfinished wood scrapes against his shoulders, shoulders which have already been scourged to the bone. You could see his shoulder blades if you looked at his back. The sounds of mocking, abuse, the, the, the dry taste of dust on your tongue and the bitter cries of agony. Now, picture this. A shepherd that's finally found his lost sheep, stuck in a hole, and bleeding pitifully in a cry for help. He rescues it from its place of certain death, soft wool gently compresses against his strong shoulders and the sounds of laughter, of rejoicing, of singing are heard. You can open your eyes, friends. I submit to you that those two scenes are one. Jesus carrying his cross to Golgotha to die for you. was him carrying you from your lost place to save you. And, and Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, like a shepherd joyfully returning with his lamb on his shoulders. The strong shoulders of that Nazarene tradesman who carried the cross are the same shoulders that carry you and me. Jesus carried his cross to the place of the skull. And in doing so, carried you to the place that he is now preparing for you in his father's house. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.